Hello and welcome to Tech Talks with Madonna Season 2, Episode 9. In this particular episode, we'll talk about H1B, F1 and salary negotiation. Please, if you've not listened to Part 1, please go check it out and listen on our podcast. And also show us some love for being a great and amazing guest and sharing her knowledge with us and giving us some insight. Thank you so much. Um, the, now, what happens beyond school? If you are an F1, mm-hmm. it was tough at the time because mm-hmm. I finished high school shortly after 9-11 and my original intended major was aerospace and aerospatial yeah. engineering. Wow. That was not a major as a foreign student. You could put on your application, on your visa application, because it was, mm. it was, we were explicitly advised, don't go to the U.S. consulate and say, and tell them you want to fly planes, because right now it's not a good idea. So I had to reconsider my major, because when I talked to various advisors, they say, you can pursue your studies in the field, but a lot of airlines may not hire you. So it, it was, there was a lot of uncertainty after 9-11, and I talked to various uh, folks who worked as pilots who mentioned how difficult the lifestyle is. So that's why it's also very important to find a mentor, because if you want to go into a field, you can find out whether it's the right fit for you. Uh, luckily, my computer science professor noticed that my passion was really more on the technology side than on the um, flying an airplane side. So he told me, why don't you look at software engineering, because the software does a lot of work that helps the pilot so if you still want to go into the same field maybe you can build uh, tools uh, it could be uh, a radar technology it could be any kind of airplane sensor you can still go in the same area the same field but from a different approach it from a different angle uh, so that's in a way how i discovered software engineering and i fell in love with it but I should say the first question he asked me, it wasn't that he explained what software engineering was. He first said, uh, you, I took an intro to Office, uh, learning Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Access. Yeah. Uh, in college, <laughs> just because it was an experience I had in high school. Yeah. And when I took that class, because my commute was quite long, it, it was in my best interest to do all of the, the assigned homework ahead of time. So I will usually cover a week's worth of work over the weekend because by the time I got to class, I would be late because of the, the, even if I caught the earliest possible bus, I had such a long commute, almost two hours to school, to and from school. It's pretty mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. Um, so my my professor noticed that how committed I was and just and suggested since you're passionate about technology and you're really committed to uh, learning and to excelling in the field, I think you should sign up for the Java course I'm going to offer next semester. I told him, no thanks. Um, no geography is a great field, but I'm not very interested. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I mean, I would like to know more about Indonesia, but 
I actually am mm-hmm. not that interested in the in that at the same time. Yeah. And he laughed so hard because then he had to explain to me that Java is a programming language and I'm like, what's a programming language? And uh, because he knew that I was interested in aerospace and aeronautical engineering, he then explained like, oh, it's actually the software. Think of it as like the ghost in the machine, the spirit ah, of the yeah. machine. I'm like, oh, so there's such a thing. So that's how I learned about hardware and software. That, that's the it was the first time that decoupling happened in my mind and that's when I knew that this uh, this is the true field I'm passionate really passionate about um when I was um went to school then came close to graduating then the financial crisis happened oh no <laughs> so at that point I had done a couple of internships at the National yeah. Center for Atmospheric Research NCA in Boulder Colorado loved it absolutely loved it and they did offer me a full-time opportunity when I graduated but I, I was also considering continuing with grad school uh, although I love NCA in Colorado, I oftentimes felt alone. Like uh, there wasn't much for me to do. I did not feel that I, I could fit in. Uh, the landscape was fantastic, but when it came to the community, I did not have a community outside of work. Uh, and even when I went to church, I still felt very alone. Uh, so at Auburn, um, they proposed that. Uh, they could come up with a very special solution for me where I would continue the part-time job I had for the IT department. In, uh, but that job would turn into a research assistantship so that I could qualify to have my tuition waived if I were to continue to grad school. Nice. So in other words, I'll be doing the same thing, but getting a pay raise. How could I say no to that? No, uh, so I, I mean, doing the same thing, getting <laughs> yeah. a pay raise and getting a tuition waiver to go to uh, to get my master's. Well, of course, that <laughs> I would do that. Uh, great campus, loved it. So, so that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I, I learned about um, CPT. Uh, for mm-hmm. anyone who's an F1 student, definitely look into your curriculum practical training uh, because the OPT, the optional practical training, is usually after you graduate, but you are eligible for CPT before you graduate. So if you're a foreign student, you need a work permit uh, to work off campus. On campus, you typically don't need one. Uh, And that was a rule that came after I moved to the US. So for any F1 student out there, highly recommend look into the CPT rules, look, and then when you graduate, look into the OPT rules. In fact, apply before you graduate because it takes some time for the paperwork to get processed. And start the conversation with future employers about sponsorship on H1B. I have encountered several students who start working and realize your company cannot sponsor them uh, because there's certain criteria that that must be met with the labor department and immigration department for them to be able to sponsor someone. Um, The so the CPT is almost it allows you to get some practical experience uh, for your field while you're still in school. Uh, so it's a great tool to utilize when you're trying to look for an internship. And the school will usually um, create a one or zero credit hour course you need to complete for your CPT. And that typically means it's as if your internship counts as a class and you get, you get a pass or a fail grade. So you don't get a letter grade but you get a pass or fail 
and you tend to have to write a report about your internship. What did you work on? And then your supervisor typically has to write a recommendation letter to your school at the end. Um, the other thing I wish I had known while I was in school was if you're interested in the entrepreneurial route, what you should do is consider launching a startup while you're a student because what it means is you provide history to your startup. You have filed some uh, quarterly earnings, some, some report. You will learn how to manage people. You, it could just be a startup with just one person. The most important benefit is at the end of your studies, if you don't think you would like to work for someone else, you can continue with your startup or you can sell it and launch a new one. But the, most, but the biggest benefit is should you continue with your startup, you can actually sponsor yourself for a green card to your, your startup. And it means you don't have to wait as many years as those who follow, who follow the similar path as myself, like F1, uh, which is the student visa, H1B, which is the work visa. Uh, it means you have special skills. Um, and then later, after, typically after a certain number of years, the company sponsors the person, the candidate for a green card, which is in itself is a pretty intensive process, uh, very complex. And depending on your nationality, it can take anywhere from four years to 11 years, sometimes 20 years. Uh, so my recommendation, if you're an F1 student, definitely check out the entrepreneurial route because that could be another way for you to uh, sponsor yourself because you have been building the necessary skills while you're in school as an owner of a startup, as a leader or owner of a startup. Oh my goodness. I feel like you've said so much great stuff and I would really like for you to send us resources after this Absolutely. talk because this will be so amazing because we do have a newsletter where we send all the information that you talked about most of the time and people can actually follow you and subscribe to your channels if you have any channels and stay connected to you. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I would definitely send those resources and also if you have show notes, feel free to include them there. There's one more resource I would like to mention. Yeah. Attending conferences as a student, please, please, please consider attending conferences. I will send you the link, Madonna. Please include them. Please, uh, yes. Send they, everything to me. Oh yeah, my God, I will. And I'll upload Someone everything. <laughs> uh, was very kind and put together a list of technical conferences in North America. They put it nice. in a GitHub page. I will send you a link to that GitHub page. Uh, most of those technical conferences have a scholarship, a travel scholarship, a travel grant. Uh, that means if you qualify, you don't have to worry about lodging. You don't have to worry about transportation. Sometimes they will even provide you stipend for food. And that will, that, that's, that's fantastic. Like, it's a great way to travel. That's how I traveled a lot. That's how I went to uh, Las Vegas. I went to Seattle uh, because all of those were refunded. That's how I discovered the CRAW, the Computing Research Association. Uh, it was through ACM. Um, but uh, the Association for Computing Machinery. But that's also how I learned about the Anita Borg uh, and the Grace Hopper Conference. Uh, I met a lot of people there. I've made lifetime friends there. So I highly, highly recommend attending these conferences. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about the cost if you can get the travel grant. It's a great way to travel. 
mini mm -hmm. vacation. A lot of professors will work with you if you, especially if you're presenting, if you're doing a poster presentation, yeah. um, the, or if you want a scholarship at those conferences, most schools, it's, it's a great recognition for the school. So I'll send you the resource for that. That's something I think every student should look into. I, I am a scholarship reviewer for some of those organizations and yes. it's surprising how few women apply. It, it really is shocking. Oh no. What can we do? What can I do to change this? What do you I, think is I've lacking? asked a few students. Um, mm -hmm. um, visibility, uh, not visibility, discovery is one problem. A lot of students said, I did not know that was available. And for those who know, the second problem is um, they think they will not get it. Therefore, they don't go to the trouble of applying and the same is reflected at the workplace when people can the way people interview or apply for positions or how they negotiate for raises uh they there have been a lot of research studies conducted that show that the way men and women apply or negotiate or even invest in the stock market it's so different so my, my so instead of worrying about not being selected, I will encourage folks to adopt the abundance mindset instead of the scarcity mindset. So don't tell yourself, I won't get selected, why bother? Instead, tell yourself, if I put my best application out there, why not? You know, what if it worked out? Like, how can I make it hard for them to turn me down? That's how you should be thinking about it. Wow. I mean, I think that is so true. And especially when you mentioned about the salary negotiation, I know that's, that is something that we women in tech actually struggle a lot with. I mean, when I say we, I include myself and many others that I've heard about. And this is a very big topic. And I actually wanted to ask you, you got promoted. I know this is how we started the talk. And I wanted you to tell us what are some of the salary negotiation tips that you might offer to mm -hmm. actually, first of all, you can render this advice to students because I feel like that will be pretty good like when they're starting and also in the in the, in the profession because I feel like um you're in your not mid but now senior career year right because you're no longer a mid career now you're like senior and then <laughs> next, next I think you're going to be the C-level now <laughs> so I mean yeah why not <laughs> yeah. so please can you give us your salary negotiation tips well, uh, good points about students as well as people in their early career. That they, they different. There definitely some differences. Uh, for students, what tends to come up is 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 your first job out of school, or they may have been switching majors, or they may they may have gone back to school to switch careers and all that. Uh, so the the advice there will be a little different uh, than an advice leader. When you have offers, uh, my suggestion would be don't compare apple to oranges. Try to find a way to normalize the data. Uh, so for example, look at the overall pictures, uh, the entire uh, offering, the entire package. Uh, some companies will offer stock options. That could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. Uh, some companies uh, may offer to, if you're a foreign uh, national, they may offer to uh, sponsor you and sponsor your partner, your family, and so on. Um, the uh, monetary amount of the base salary uh, or the total compensation who make it, it matters where you're going to be located so that monetary amount may go a long way 
in a, an area that is a low, low cost of living area versus a high cost of living area. So do some research, look at the cost of living, uh, look at the, um, the safety uh, for those with children, look at the school zone, because uh, some areas might be where, like in, in places where sending child, your children to uh, private school might be the way to go. So then that could be more expensive than public school. So you have to take everything into account. Uh, so my advice to students, if it's an offer you're considering before you try to negotiate, um, definitely look at, don't look at apple and oranges, normalize the data, look at everything, and then you can compare the two. The next thing is uh, stu uh, students tend to use Glassdoor, which is a great, great resource. I would say also consider Blind. Uh, Blind is the name of the app uh, on the Apple App Store, Google Play Store, or in, any mobile store, in fact. Uh, if you want to check out the website, it's called teamblind.com. And in this, on this side, it allows uh, folks who work at companies, they typically verify with your company account. It allows them to be able to open up a little bit more. Uh, for example, just because a company's salary offering is fantastic, it may not be the right place. It may be the worst possible company in the area. Uh, it may be that the company is great, but the team you'll be joining is not the best. Uh, so Blind allows folks to be able to have these uh, honest conversations with current employees at such companies to find out, or former employees in some cases, to find out like, is this offer meaningful, like beyond the benefits package, beyond the monetary amount, what else should I take into account? It could just be that the culture is not there, like you could not be a cultural fit for the company. Uh, it could be that there's some safety concern. Uh, it could be that you their personal preferences. It could be that you have some health limitations and so on. So that would be my advice for the student. Uh, and also people uh, early in your early career. Later, as you progress, don't make this mistake. Don't keep your head down and work hard. That was the advice I got when I started because I was told your work will speak for itself. People will notice you're working super hard and then they will automatically increase your salary. That's a good advice in general, but not when it comes to salary negotiation because what happens is the... I mean, put yourself at the place of the employer. It is in their best interest to pay you the least amount possible for the most amount of work you can do. Uh, it's, it's financially speaking, for company owner, that's actually the best strategy. So for you as the employee, time is your most valuable non-renewable resource. So you are exchanging your time as well as your skills, so your time and your expertise in exchange for a particular remuneration. So it's in your best interest to advocate for yourself, to try to get the most in exchange for yeah. these, uh, these skills, this time that you never really get back. So yeah. don't just think, assume people will notice and just increase your salary. It could happen naturally. Hopefully there's mm -hmm. an inflation adjustment done every year to your base salary or your total compensation. However, mm -hmm. you have to make sure you remain marketable. So work hard, but also keep an eye out. Find out what is supposed to be my market rate? Am I being paid fairly? If I'm paid below market, are there some other 
benefits. So if the salary, you're not getting the salary, maybe there are other benefits, maybe there are other opportunities. It could be that the company is uh, paying for certificate or training. It could be the flexibility. Uh, it could be some assistance for other unrelated items. Or so even like what? unlimited PTO, you know? Unlimited. But you have to be careful about unlimited PTO. Studies have shown that people with unlimited PTO actually take less vacation than those that with is so PTO. True. Because someone with limited PTO at work at my workplace is use it or lose it. Therefore, yeah. most folks, when Christmas comes around, if you haven't used your vacation, you'll see almost everyone taking their time off uh, because we know that we will lose it when the new year rolls around. Whereas if we had unlimited PTO, I have unlimited sick leave because I can also, and I mostly work from home, most of the time I don't take that unlimited sick leave because I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm not feeling too well, but I'm not in the office. Therefore, I'm not going to put anyone in danger. So I can still work a little bit. It'd be a little slower, but I can still do something. So yeah, so, so you, unlimited PTO is great, but you have to make sure you are taking, you are using it uh, so that you can balance your work and life. Um, so wow. Yeah. So then, and then the last bit will be, don't mm -hmm. make the salary negotiation personal. Don't go to your management team and say, I have more bills to pay, or I now have more responsibilities. I deserve more money. Or this person makes more money than me, but I think I do better work than them. So I deserve, don't, it's not like that. Uh, what you should do is at first show that you are grateful uh, for the opportunity you're given. So demonstrate to them that you are not negotiating, uh, you're not giving them an ultimatum, like increase my salary or I'm leaving. You, you generally enjoy the work you're doing because if you're not, you probably should not be there. Uh, the second thing is show them, demonstrate to them that a salary correction is overdue, a compensation correction. So you know your worth, you, you are well aware of the work you've put in, it has been visible to them. So make sure your work is visible to senior leadership. Uh, and that way, when you go to them, it's not going to be a surprise to them. You don't want them to say, why should I increase your salary? You don't do that much work or, uh, you, you know, you're already paid to get paid too much. Instead, you want them to think like, oh, you're right. How come we hadn't realized that yet? this is an easy task, let's go ahead and do that because you, they don't want to lose you. It's going to take a while to hire a new person, train the person to get to the level you've accomplished. So most companies will want to work with you. And some folks, what they will do is they will hop between companies in order to increase your salary. That's a good strategy. However, if you're not contributing, if all you're doing is just hopping, you're not acquiring expertise and producing work, it will catch up to you. So you can only do this, uh, it will only get you so far. So my advice will be make sure you do the best possible work, make sure it's visible, but don't stop there. Know your value, know your market rate, and be vocal about it, schedule a meeting with a manager, give them some time. Don't expect them to increase your salary right away. Sometimes increases only happens once a year. So give them some time. And if you are considering another opportunity, you know, let, let them know. Like, But know that some companies will tell you, oh, you're considering another job, then go there. Oh, so yeah. Be, be aware of the fact that 
they so don't go there bluffing like threatening yeah. them with leaving <laughs> they will call you out on your bluff i really like that advice and i think you've given us so much and i'm so grateful we'll link some of these resources on our newsletter on our website talkswithmadonna.com and thank you so much for being with us i know we need another session with you <laughs> because this is such great content. <laughs>